We're all going to have our own auditoriums. We're going to have our own little spank holes. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. All right, everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. <sighs> yeah, that's about right. And from Music Video Sins, Barrett Share. Uh, yeah. It's so, been one of those weeks. <laughs> the, the reason we're sighing is probably way too much to get into, but uh, we're back at our old, old, like the first three episodes recording place. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, uh, studio uh, belonging to a friend of the show. Yes. And uh, so we're here because, uh, you know, I mean. A comedy of errors. A comedy of errors. Yeah. yeah. Basically uh, a demon ate. A podcast. We mm-hmm. did, we did a podcast Tuesday, another Mount Rushmore. We did composers. All three of us came out of it going like that was one of the best ones in a long time. <laughs> That's the funniest. And like part. yesterday or the day before, Barrett emails and he's like, "Guys, it sounds like we're robots. There's some mm-hmm. kind of digital distortion happening." And uh, <clears throat> we thought we were going to get it fixed, so we gathered our friends from Modern Horrors last night mm-hmm. to try and do an October horror related you know movie club podcast and the demon was back mm-hmm. <laughs> and we tried everything we we sat there talking to these guys who are awesome um and you know we would love to hang out with them even mm-hmm. if we weren't recording a podcast but you know we updated windows we updated the audio software i'm pretty sure we updated notepad um <laughs> tried everything and just couldn't get it to go and we now have it fixed right yeah okay so we gather at chris's house today at the studio and lo and behold, this is the day the construction workers next door at this house that has taken eight and a half years to build mm-hmm. have decided to bring in two bobcats and create like a ski slope swale <laughs> literally outside the window of the studio. Yep. And so we were panicking, thinking, well, there's only three days until the podcast needs to come out. Let's go over here and do what we can and yep. get an episode going. Yep, there it is. So today we're this is a basically a no frills type of podcast. We're going to be doing mailbags, mailbags the entire the entire time, which is good because it means we'll have to we'll be able to answer a whole bunch of questions That's rather right. than just a handful. You know, just in order to to give you our dedicated podcast listeners something to listen to on Monday. We're going to be doing this. Yeah, and we don't want to do the Mount Rushmore of composers again, because it was so fresh two, Mm -hmm. three days ago. I think we would all sound a little fake going through the same. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even think about him. Yeah, exactly. And this happened once before with a podcast we lost, and Mm -hmm. we waited a couple of months and did it again. It turned out great. Mm -hmm. So we'll probably do another Mount Rushmore soon, but we'll move on from composers and come back to it later. Mm -hmm. We don't have the Modern Horrors guys today to do the Horror October pod, hence the mailbag. It will happen, though, and it's going to be awesome. And when, uh, by the way, when you cut together the audio clips right before we get into the mailbag discussion, mm-hmm. you should use something from um, Miracle on 34th Street when they dump all those letters on the judge's bench. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Nice. Mailbag. Yeah. Mailbag. That's right. <laughs> it's a mailbag. Somehow That's I made right. that dirty. Yeah. Mailbag. <laughs> Plus, we get a chance to be, like Chris said, we don't always get to all the questions. We get a ton of questions via email, via Reddit. Um, there's a specific question thread on our subreddit yep. um twitter soundcloud 
you guys keep them coming. And we wanted to to tear into uh, some of the ones that we've answered, we've actually thought about, we've put you know uh, background into this, but we haven't had a chance to get to them. So this is our chance. Yeah. Now All we're right, going to catch so up. So let's pretend like we've just done two hours of a podcast and go straight to questions. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I want the truth. That's right. Question. Question. I understand the post office receives thousands of these letters every year. Do you have any other questions for me, counselor? I got something to say. Now can't you give me a straight answer anymore? I want the truth. I am listening. All right. Let's do it. Hey, guys. I haven't seen Dan in real life more than a couple of times since it was released. Okay. More than me. <laughs> But one scene really stuck with me. When Steve Carell and Dane Cook sing, Let My Love Open the Door, um, really it's just uh, Carell singing uh, that last verse in a somber tone. What are your favorite moments that a song's tone was used to elicit an opposite feeling? Very interesting question. It is a very interesting question um, and apparently hard to read. Um, (laughs) But the first thing I thought of um, was uh, the Beach Boys, Good Vibrations Mm -hmm. at the end of Vanilla Sky. Oh, it's perfect. He's running around screaming tech support (laughs) and basically having a reality mental breakdown. Yep. Uh, and you just hear this boppy, I'm picking up <laughs> while he's love. screaming. <laughs> yeah. It's all a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, that is almost the best example I can think of of juxtaposition there in terms of the original intent of the song and how it's used in the film. That was the first thing I thought of. That's a great pick. Yeah. Because he's he's in the, the body of the building before right. he goes up to the, the very top. Right. And then we figure out that and and again i think it it is declarative in the fact that it is not reality right like after the club incident he he is in cryo sleep mm-hmm. right yeah yep that's such an interesting movie such an underrated movie yeah yeah the, the original's great too yeah mm-hmm. i got to see that what do you think i had I, I don't have anything nearly as good as good vibrations and by the way that, that song still goes so well with what what's going on yeah. in on in the movie it's weird because yes it, it is so contrary to what's happening but i've got like three little uh snippets one i've mentioned the the happy music that plays in jaws when they're when they're carrying the the shark uh behind them and it's like this you know (laughs) it's almost like they're just out you know having a picnic or something like that and and, and it is kind of funny because i think by the end of that happy music they do go back to the you know the violins and everything but um, but uh, uh, Hallelujah in the in Watchmen, man, what a, what a great pick! <laughs> yeah, um, that's I mean it's an obvious one, but I mean come on, that has got to be one of the most. That actually I don't think works as well as they were intending. Yeah, you know what I mean. Well, oh, of course. And, not. and you look at the lyrics of the Leonard Cohen song; it it, it can you can kind of see some sexual imagery here and there but it, so many people have so many different interpretations of what hallelujah right. is um yeah i don't i have no idea why that song is picked for that sex scene which is completely out of place in itself yes i agree everything about that scene is out of place in well um, you can use because everybody people use that song as like a mirror for whatever feeling that's supposed to be going on yeah. whether it's sexual intercourse whether it's fucking shrek loses his friends or something yeah. like that like that, that song is about like like you said like a million different things because there's 80 fucking verses to it yeah I but mean, i've you, always I, interpreted it as a as a as a sad song like i always it always hits me as as a very mournful kind of song oh yeah. not 
the way it also often gets used as a celebratory song mm-hmm. like hallelujah we won the shrek fight well, and, <laughs> and one well and i think what in shrek they use it during a sad yeah moment, it's a lament but, yeah but in watchmen it's it's a euphoric moment yeah. because these two they they you know i don't know if the movie or even the the source material does this any justice but I mean, you get the idea that this is a couple that should have happened long ago or mm-hmm. whatever, and maybe that's the reason why Hallelujah is playing. Mm. But in the movie, it doesn't really come off like, they, like they've been pining for each other this long, and it's like, finally, they're doing it, you know? Well, it's um, also, he was impotent before then, right? Oh, I don't even like, I, I, don't I, I think there was, a, there was a section where, because he's like Night Owl or something like that, and I think he, he was unable to get it up. Wasn't oh, yeah. he and, like... Didn't he like bang her mom back in the day? And I now believe he's so. so yeah, yeah. He did no, not the. Patrick it was Jeffrey Wilson Dean here. Morgan was was. Yeah, banging. Jeffrey oh. Dean Morgan did. Oh, okay. Um, and that would add another layer. Well, of that's a whole that's a whole different story in that in that whole thing. But um, it was two other little minor things I wanted to bring up. I know that uh, every breath you take is used as a love song a million times in movies, mm-hmm. and, and it's definitely not. And even to that's that's to, to Sting's lament as well. <laughs> yeah. Because he he's he's you know over the years he's like I don't understand why people use this song as a <laughs> as a like you know they'll use it as a wedding song almost yeah. you know yeah uh, it doesn't make any sense um, uh, and it was uh, he, he what it was the the story behind that is he had just broken up with his wife or girlfriend or something and and uh, and he actually had a, a moment of like just obsession or whatever oh, during wow. that whole thing and that's the reason why he he wrote that song um but it's right there in the lyrics it doesn't even you don't (laughs) even have to whatever not hiding it at all there's another one i don't know if the carpenter superstar was a i know it i know it's played at a at a happy tempo and everything Mm -hmm. i don't know if it's supposed to be sort of ironic or whatever but uh in the high tension trailer oh they yeah. use the mot the hoople version of it oh really yeah i think it's the mot the hoople it's version. not sonic youth sonic youth it might be sonic youth yeah it might be sonic youth but um the one that's like don't you remember yeah that's sonic me? youth yeah, yeah, that yeah, one. yeah um so yeah the uh that that's that song is is awesome going over the the high tension trailer horror trailer because it's like a whole bunch of like real bloody shit going on yeah. and everything and it's uh you know they're playing that superstar so anyway that's good good call you know it's interesting that uh, I had a in middle school I think right at the end of middle school I had a a teacher that you know he was a coach and everything and we were, we were kind of close and he was like Barrett made a mistake man I was uh I had the song stuck in my head and I was walking by one of the girls in, in class and checking her homework and stuff like that. And it was, don't stand so close to me. Oh, oh no. <laughs> he was like humming it to himself. Oh, no. He was like, do you think anybody would recognize that? I was like, nobody, yeah. <laughs> nobody our age is going to recognize that except for me. Yeah. And I was oh, like, don't God. do that again. <laughs> he was like, yeah. <laughs> Coach Morris. Yeah, what are you going to do? We had, we had, we talked about that song at one point, didn't we? we did. In one of these podcasts. Oh, yeah. We did. Um, yeah. Oh, it was <laughs> all. The police songs are never like, you know, if you think they're happy, they're really just real fucking dark and serious. Seriously. Yeah. Well, somebody like Puff Daddy will appropriate it for, there you, you go. know, his, there his you go. biggie thing. Uh, the Sonic Youth version of Superstar was used in Juno. Um, that's what I really remember it from. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. But oh, it's that, they, it's yeah, that it's, real it's somber, be, yeah, yeah. that mm-hmm. somber version. Baby, baby, baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Baby, baby, I mean, I'm, and now I'm beginning to wonder, did Mott the Hoople do a version of that song? I'm beginning to wonder. Maybe I'm just confusing it. You just wanted to say Mott the Hoople. I did. I wanted to show how awesome and smart I was, but then I was really talking about Sonic Youth. Um, <laughs> no, but they did do the Hoople. 
What? They did a song called The Hoople. But they didn't do a cover of Superstar? <laughs> Interesting. Uh, okay, so it, it does kind of sound like them. It was just Sonic the, Sonic Youth. Maybe because I watched Juno, they do discuss Mott the Hoople. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe that's where I get the con- mm-hmm. the, uh, the whole thing confused. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think, in modern history, I don't think there's been a song that's more associated with a movie than Where's My Mind in yeah. Fight Club. Mm-hmm. Um, which is funny because... Where's my mind? It's just like this anthemic, like just kind of you know plotting type of of rock song, but it's about uh, it's it's uh, Black Francis, the the lead singer. He was swimming in the Caribbean and he got chased by some fish, <laughs> <laughs> and that's literally what it's about. Wow, <laughs> writing this thing, uh, but but the the melody is so like earwormy that that you can put it with anything. But you know now, if anybody hears that song, they're going to be picturing the buildings sure. collapsing. You know, at sure. The end of Fight Club. Well, and I feel like the tone of that song fits the imagery of the end of that movie, mm-hmm. even if the lyrics don't. Yeah, and I think that's probably why it was chosen. Yeah. Um, and then there's there's another example in modern culture of 2003's Hey Ya. You remember uh, mm-hmm. Audrey mm-hmm. 3000? Mm-hmm. Um, there was a guy on YouTube that like slowed it down. Everybody's doing this now, where immediately after a song is released, there's going to be an acoustic like mopey cover of it. Yes. Uh, but when, when somebody did that with, with this, like that's a pretty fucking sad song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like overall. Yeah. Um, except for like, lend me some sugar. I am your neighbor anyway. Um, but yeah, so that's a, it's kind of a weird thing. It, it is cool to think about using songs in a different context and getting something completely different out of them. All right. What are the best movies and or TV shows that lampoon Hollywood? Mm. That's always a fun one. Mm. This is a good one. Yeah. Well, we, uh, we got to give a shout out to State and Maine because yeah. that's basically our adopted son <laughs> on this podcast. And there's a uh, that movie is maybe the best. I mean, there are a lot of movies that do a good job parroting or aping Hollywood. Um, it's been going on for a while, mm-hmm. but. This is one of the best. I mean, you can go back to Singing in the Rain, and the, the yeah. large part of that plot is lampooning Hollywood mm-hmm. um, and how the divas behave and how the stars behave and so on and so forth. Uh, so State in Maine, if you still haven't seen it, yep. get, get that get that one. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've got a couple others, but I, I don't want to take somebody else's, so somebody else share next. You know what's uh, what's been like a, it was lost to the mass of movies that came out last year, but I really enjoyed Hail Caesar. Yeah, I kind of did too. Mm-hmm. I feel like Hail Caesar is going to end up being like what we think of, maybe not to like the Big Lebowski levels, but maybe to like Barton Fink levels or Miller's Crossing or something like that in the Cohen's repertoire. Um, because I think it's it's sneaky, it's sneaky good. It's it's got like really memorable characters. It's got horrible, crazy exaggerations of Hollywood types back in the Golden Age mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And you got it's all just kind of anchored by Brolin's gruff you know, uh, get shit done type of uh, characters. Yeah. So it's it's really good. If you haven't seen it, I, I recommend you check it out. Did you not like it? I've seen it. I didn't really like it very much. Really? Well, especially when they ha- they hire the good looking guy to be in that one movie and he can't say the simplest of fucking lines. Oh my God. That's and then such they, a great scene. Yeah. And it's in <laughs> the whole thing is, is perfect Coen's because the line itself is, if only it were that simple, and <laughs> twer that was twer that it, it were was that so simple. simple yes. I guess it's a little bit more difficult <laughs> than it is, but but like twer it all, it, you know, he's, he keeps messing it up over and over again, and then finally they just change it. Well, that's not that difficult or whatever. Yeah, it's what did it twer? That's what it would was. What did it were? What did it yeah. twer? Yeah, and then he's like saying like this. What did it twer? And he's like, what did it twer? Yeah. Oh my god! And because, it, it goes on for so fucking long. Because yes, both both parties are wrong here. One's a bad 
bad actor for sure. But the other one is trying to force this really shitty line (laughs) into the movie. And he's trying to say it and like, you know, he's, do I need to concentrate on my acting? Do I need to concentrate on the line itself? Do I need to, you know, um, (laughs) my dear boy, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, the player is probably the best at this, yeah. I think. I mm-hmm. think uh, I, I love State and Maine, and uh, I would suggest watching State and Maine and the player like back to back. Yeah, mm-hmm. man. Uh, the player opens up with that huge, like, unbroken shot. Yeah. And uh, it even goes to either the there's a there's an act, there's a Hollywood pitch going on with Tim Robbins. And the guy who's in the room is actually a guy who either wrote The Graduate or came up with the story for The Graduate. And he's pitching The Graduate Part 2 and everything. And he's like, you know, like, think about it. Our principal leads are still with us. (laughs) (laughs) And and they're like, like, uh, you know, like, how do we make a story out of that? The end of the the end of the last movie was so perfect and everything. (laughs) And um, but uh, yeah, it goes through all that. Now, the player after that initial like 20 to 30 minutes or whatever becomes more a murder mystery well not a mystery we know who does it but uh it becomes more of a will they catch tim robbins type Mm -hmm. movie so it's not really there there are some movie things that happen after that but all that first 30 minutes is this the perfect like send up i love that pitch where he's like so insistent that they're not going to have a happy ending yes. they're not going to cast big stars and then like the very end of the movie you see the end of this film where Bruce Willis breaks in and takes her out of the gas chamber yeah because they, they, yeah, the, the, the initial uh, the initial pitch is um, he gets there late the gas bombs drop or whatever he's cut whatever he calls them in there the gas drops uh, he he he's gotten there too late she's dead there's not a dry eye in the house <laughs> and uh and uh and so like who are you thinking about putting in this or whatever and he's and uh dean stockwell is like his agent or whatever he's like um we're thinking maybe bruce willis or something he's like no no fucking bruce willis no julia roberts blah 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 this, yeah. is, this is reality this is yeah. what happens and all that and like uh and then yeah by the end of it it's bruce willis and julia roberts he saves her she's like what took you so long he's like traffic was a bitch and uh and uh, and, uh like they're in the they're in the uh screening room and the uh, uh, Cynthia Stevenson character turns around. And he's like, "What happened to your ending?" He's like, "The reality is that the, the test audiences hated the ending." <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. and uh, yeah, the player is great at that. Um, also, get shorty mm, is yeah. another one uh, that I feel like uh, does it pretty well. I mean, both the player and get shorty aren't just about Hollywood. Obviously, they have their their you know other story involved but they still throw in all these jabs uh to to hollywood and everything in it um, i like how travolta is so starstruck by these b movie yeah. actors and actresses i'm a real fan of your work yeah you know? and he knows yeah. it he knows yeah. it intimately um, <laughs> like he'll quote a scene to uh renee russo's character yeah, like, yeah. when you were when you were in the clutches of the sea monster <laughs> yeah. Yeah. well he goes to like what touch of evil and he's sitting there quoting the movie yeah. b- uh, before the movie <laughs> yeah says it's lying <laughs> Well, it was the greatest thing is when he does that, like, he'll look around, like, yeah. the theater yeah, to yeah, see if yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, ah, oh, you're going down, Orson. Um, 
Oh man! But uh, also, you mentioned Barton Fink, but uh, Ed Wood as well is mm-hmm. another one that mm-hmm. uh, that does that pretty well. I think Ed Wood and Barton Fink, you could watch those back to back pretty easily. Like, there's a lot of the similarities between Ed Wood and Barton Fink as far as movies that the the quality of movies that mm-hmm. are being made um yeah all those would be good i think that you could we could make a pretty good week of watching state maine the player get shorty barton fink and and ed wood yeah yeah, yeah. i wanted to mention larry sanders show oh yeah nice which i think gets overshadowed in its greatness because hbo has had even more success since then mm-hmm. um but it was we had a good long run it was consistently funny uh, and it's just lampooning those late night talk shows yeah. and the actors and actresses that come in and the kinds of people that work there and write for the show, the kind of person the host would be behind the scenes. Gary Shandling anchors that show. Jeffrey Tambor is also yep. awesome in it. Um, so I wanted to bring that one up as well. That, you know, every time Larry Sanders show is brought up, I think of this one part where like uh, Larry's uh, I guess Larry's uh, card is being used and there's somebody stealing his money or something like that. And uh, and so Rip Torn is in there with him and talking like, you know, like, so who has your who has your like pin number and everything? And he starts going down this like laundry list of people. And he's like, OK, well, you've narrowed it down to the entire Pacific Rim. <laughs> <laughs> that was like in the late 80s, early 90s. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who would have thought that in 2017, like the the talk show model is still around? I mean, it, it must be something. I don't get it. Yeah, I haven't watched that kind of show probably since college when mm-hmm. Letterman was kind of at his peak and I was a big Letterman fan. Um, I don't understand it, but it's the same with the daytime talk shows. That model hasn't changed either. Um, I don't get it. Well, I feel I, like people would get tired of it eventually. Yeah. I don't know. I think the, 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 the kind of people who do watch those things haven't changed. Though. Yeah, maybe. It may be because I always – like Conan O'Brien – was like appointment viewing for me when in he was the on early years. The, yes, the, yeah, the late late show or no, it wasn't the late late show. It was uh, it was the one that was after the Tonight Show, right? Like that that heyday, because he was able to do this crazy subversive shit, and he was a good interviewer, and that's what all these people are, are the, the current crop are missing these days because. Like, you'll have a really good monologue. Colbert does a wonderful monologue. Of course, it's a one-man show about Trump at this point. But he'll go from, like, excoriating, like, you know, a public figure to sitting down with, like, fucking Julia Stiles. Not Julius. I don't know why Julia Stiles would be. <laughs> Julia Stiles. <laughs> but, like, like Kerry Washington or something like that. And be like, so what you been doing, you know? But, uh, so, like, it, it just loses you when it gets to the uh, interview section. What's funny, Letterman was always the greatest interviewer because... I think it was Cameron Diaz that was on the show one time and it was clear from like pre-interviews or whatever it was that she had nothing to say. Like mm. it was a, it was a blank slate. So he asked her like a couple of like, you know, softball questions and she was just, it was almost like Anna Ferris and lost in translation. Like mm. I got to learn karate and blah, blah, right, blah. Right, right. And uh, so after a while he just kind of gives it a pause and he's like, so how do you like making them movies? <laughs> <laughs> Man, you can tell it, that, watching, was, that was where the interview Watching going. Letterman go after a guest who's just not cooperative is the best thing ever. <laughs> oh, yeah. so God, crazy. he never put on any show <laughs> that he was just going to fight through this. Right. He would always just, I mean, when Joaquin Phoenix was doing his, you know, I'm still here <laughs> yeah. bullshit and everything. 
like like Letterman just was like, okay, well, I guess uh, you know we were supposed to have Joaquin Phoenix here tonight, but uh, he's not with us today, or something like that. There was one part in that interview where he was like, well, it, I think it was at the end. He was like, all right, well, we'll see you next time. Maybe I'll come on your show and chew some fucking gum. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> I missed that. Guy. Yeah, he was just he ne- he didn't suffer fools. Um, I'll also add just a little bit of uh, the Godfather and how it portrays Hollywood, mm-hmm. and you know, it's oh, got oh, the, yeah. the Jack Waltz. Uh, character which who knows at that period in time that was the 50s that, that it's set in right Makes sense. early 50s and uh you know it may be like that where like the studio heads are you know fucking the actresses and everything and if somebody impinges on that then they'll fuck them with the contracts and all that stuff you know oh bullfinger mm-hmm. oh yeah it's a good one bullfinger's another good yeah. lampoon man that movie's aging better and better for me like Have you when, seen i remember recently? when it came mm-hmm. out i liked it and after a few years i was like well, I don't think it has that great a reputation, but I really like it. And I've seen it maybe a dozen times at this point, and I I get sucked right in every single time because hmm. there's so many different people doing interesting things, like Eddie Murphy playing the geeky brother yeah. of the of Kit Ramsey is an Eddie Murphy I've never seen before. The nervous braces wearing, eh, yeah. I just want to go get coffee. <laughs> um, anyway, that's another good one. I wonder if that's the the only movie that those two have ever been in together. Steve Martin and Eddie Murphy? Uh-huh. I yeah, so. I would guess. Yeah, that's so. like, that's prime of their careers, I guess. No, right the, it was right actually the after Eddie's prime. It was after Martin's too. I yeah. mean, it's, it's why that movie didn't do well. It was like 99 yeah. when oh, it yeah. came out. Um, so yeah, he'd already made Eddie Murphy had already made a bunch of shit. Yeah, Eddie Murphy was. Uh, I mean, he was in the middle of his comeback. Essentially, he had Nutty Professor and Doctor Doolittle, but he also had all this stuff like Holy Man and mm-hmm. um, just a lot of like ridiculous. Like, why did you pick this? This movie should not exist. Why did you pick that? Well, did you I ever think- see Holy Man? Yeah, I did. <laughs> oh, I did. Well, I, I don't remember much about it. Though. Eddie Murphy's character, at least the Kit Ramsey character in Bowfinger, is kind of lampooning that. Mm-hmm. He's kind of making fun of himself because he's crazy and he the way he picks his scripts is, I think I mentioned before, like one script had too many K's in it when yeah. divided by three <laughs> or whatever. And then... Uh, there's another scene in a diner where he's going off about white guys playing an idiot and they get an Oscar. Go find me an idiot to play. You know, go find me, you know, some <laughs> black, you know, Down syndrome guy or whatever. Yeah. Anyway, I think he's sort of making fun of and winking at himself. Yeah, a I think bit so. There. All right. This is a two part question. We'll answer the first part <laughs> first and then I'll give you the second part. Um, what are some of your favorite movie casts? Um, the cast of, for this person, the cast of Inception or any one of Nolan's uh, movies and the cast of Ex Machina have very few people in it, but they're all fantastic. So what do you guys think of the, like an ensemble? What is the, the, the all-star of movie casts? Mm. Man, I, I had three answers for this and I couldn't figure out which one because you get those productions sometimes where all the actors have decided basically, okay, I don't need my regular salary and I don't, I'm not going to be playing a big part and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've mentioned JFK before in other circumstances, but the, the cast of JFK is unreal. Who else in that? Um, so you have Kevin Costner as the lead. You have Tommy Lee Jones. You have, uh, Gary Oldman playing, uh, Oswald. Oh yeah. You have Joe Pesci. Um, uh, Kevin Bacon is in there. Donald Sutherland, uh, Michael Rooker, Wayne Knight. Laurie Metcalf, Sissy Spacek, John Candy, Jesus, Lolita Davidovich, Jack Lemon, Walter Matthau, 
Ed Asner, Vincent D'Onofrio, Brian Doyle Murray, and Pruitt Taylor Vince. And that's just the people that I just like immediately recognize. There's like others too. That is a massive cast. uh, And and a lot, I mean, a lot of these guys are playing small roles, but the people who are playing big roles like Costner, Pesci, Tommy Lee Jones, Mm -hmm. Gary Oldman, those are like, that's the, that's your meat of your cast Mm -hmm. right there. And that would be good. That'd be a good cast period for any movie. But, um, but uh, yeah, Jay, somehow, some way, Oliver Stone basically just said this is an important movie, mm-hmm. and everybody, you know, is going to take a little bit of a pay cut, probably going to pay scale for this. But you know, and everybody signed on. Yeah, man, That's that bad. is. Insane. You ever look at the opening credits of Oliver's uh, the uh, JFK movie? <laughs> it's just like just keeps going. And <laughs> like, going oh and my go. god! You're like, holy crap, man! <laughs> awesome, <laughs> good answer. Um. So I went in terms of like number of great actors who all kill it. Um, I got two answers, by the way. All right. So for that answer, I'm going with the prestige because you've yeah. got Hugh Jackman, you've got Michael Caine, you've got Christian Bale, Scarlett Johansson, David fucking Bowie, yeah. Andy Serkis. <laughs> yeah. Those six alone are enough, I think, to sell. If you like good acting and you've never, you didn't know anything about the prestige, I think that list would. Oh, and Piper Parabo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that list would <laughs> sell right. you. Coyote Uglies, Piper Parabo. Well, there's also Rebecca Hall's in this, too. <laughs> yep. Um, a little before she kind of got famouser. Um, but anyway, yeah, that cast always blows my mind. I'm, I know the question asker said most of Nolan's casts do. It's because he recycles so many of the same act michael kane is always in his movies mm-hmm. um even in uh, dunkirk yeah as a voice yeah. <laughs> yeah um and then for in terms of how, like how well they meshed and how well everyone sunk into their roles I'm, i went with sneakers mm-hmm. uh, which is another movie we talked about a bunch and probably adopted um <laughs> but everybody is just perfectly cast i guess that's what i mean oh yeah um and uh they're all playing, most of them are playing roles unlike we've really ever seen them do before. I know that, uh, you know, eventually Ben Kingsley has gone on to play some other evil dudes. But, you know, for me, it was, it was like, oh, here's Gandhi. He's the <laughs> he's the villain? <laughs> what the hell's going on? And Robert Redford's just playing Robert Redford. Yeah. Um, but, you know, River Phoenix is unique from his other movies in this role. Dan Aykroyd playing a wacky conspiracy theorist. Yep. Uh, David Strathairn playing a blind person. Yep. Everybody stretches a little, but that it's just a, it's, the casting director there should have won an Oscar because yeah, they're all they, perfect. And mm. they have, uh, they all have these, every one of their unique abilities somehow manages to make its way into a great team. Yeah. Yeah. And everything. It's uh, that's why that movie's so fun. I love Ben Kingsley in that movie where he, it's like at the end where he's like about to kill Robert Redford and Redford's like, like, cause you can't do this or whatever. And he's like, I cannot kill my friend. Yeah. And he turns to his henchman, kill my friend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I still don't know what's up with his fucking accent in that movie. Yeah. Though. It's just so weird. Something he probably picked up in prison. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's true. I guess so. I don't know. I, don't, I always thought that Dan Aykroyd got a little like short shrifted for his, uh, his acting, you know, cause he, he had the, the run of Ghostbusters and all that stuff. Uh, but then, like he does something like sneakers, he was really good in My Girl. Yeah, My Girl. Had. Driving um, Miss Daisy. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. Um, and then uh, in uh, Gross Point Blank and things yeah, like that. Yeah, he's great in Gross like, Point he's, Blank. He's got a, he's got a pretty big range, and I guess just because he wanted to produce or direct or write or something like that, that he didn't he didn't really. Yeah, he's getting I've never cranky really heard, old age. I've never really heard any stories about Dan Aykroyd, whether he's been he's difficult or. I don't think he's difficult, but he's spoken out a couple of times against the new Ghostbusters movie just in the last few months, even 
And he appeared in it, so yeah, he was what's in a it. big fucking deal, bitch? I don't know. I guess he got a paycheck. Yeah. I ain't Bill afraid Murray's no ghosts. Bigger. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another movie that we've talked about a lot, but I cannot stop watching it whenever it comes on, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, man. Mm-hmm. Top mm-hmm. to bottom. Al Pacino, Jack Lemmon, Alec Baldwin in a blink and you miss it, but don't blink because that is one of the most amazing cameos of all time. Mm-hmm. And then you got Alan Arkin, Ed Harris, Kevin Spacey, Jonathan Price. Yeah. Just just getting you know how like how Hollywood actors are like, man, I really want to do a play. Mm-hmm. I wanna yeah. I wanna do like something that's real. I wanna have like a real character to play. I think this is what this was. And they could actually like get a chance to act, you know, do their acting yeah. thing. And they just they relished it. And they, this is, you know, parts of the prime of 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 many of these people, especially Pacino. Mm-hmm. And it's right know. before Spacey hits his big yeah. stride. Mm-hmm. Well, and, uh, I, I from what I understand, this was by design too. They were they got they got Spacey because you know he was up and coming. They got Pacino because he's at the height of his. And he's not really at his peak at this point, but uh, it was a pretty. Sus- it's, well, yeah, it's this it, was the the second peak, I guess. But Lemon, who was the you know obviously the guy who was had a huge peak back in the '60s and '70s and everything, um, and then they get Baldwin, who was the hot shit at mm-hmm. the time. You know, he's coming off Hunt for October and all that. He was the hot shit, and they and I I don't know how they how they did it, but there was a. There was uh, there was something that they did to uh, get natural animosity towards Baldwin in this on this uh, mm. on this movie too. Uh, you yeah. know, basically saying this hot shit actor is going to come in here because <laughs> they, they, they it might have been one of those almost like Saving Private Ryan things where mm. they had everybody together, but then Baldwin comes in and just does his shit without any rehearsals or anything or whatever. There's something I don't to remember that, what man. It was. I mean, it's it's like what Kubrick or uh, what Hitchcock used to do to his actresses, obviously. A lot of that goes up into and maybe crosses the line, but you get these amazingly authentic raw performances out of these people, and you know, you know that new Angelina Jolie movie coming out. First they came for my father or whatever. Mm-hmm. First they killed my father, whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. Did you hear about the somewhat controversy around her casting process? Because she gave an interview. Movie stars, kids, mm-hmm. um, poor kids, and oh, I heard about in that. the audition. They played this game with the kids where they put like a dollar in front of them and asked them to imagine what they would buy with it and then took it away huh? to try and elicit the right amount of like sadness, oh. I guess. Oh. Like there was, it, it was a big controversy for a couple of days. She had to come out and like clarify <laughs> and explain how there were child psychologists on, on set and all this other stuff. <laughs> and I don't think it's going to be a thing anymore. But I mean, that kind of thing goes on all the time. Yeah. And that is just a casting phase. You know, you're not even... You're not even talking about shooting. It's just <laughs> casting and they're fucking with you. <laughs> fucking kids. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, okay, so the second part of this question, by the way, um, is uh, with the impending release of Avengers Infinity War, <laughs> um, I had a thought that's never been thought before. This cast is too big, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yes. I think we all agree on that. Um, <laughs> uh, after this question was asked, uh, I was uh, my first initial answer was yes in my head it's it's got to be because they're putting everybody in it but uh i then went to the imdb to take a look at it Mm -hmm. and i started running across actors this is how vast this marvel universe is at this point i was running across actors i was like oh what is he playing oh oh yeah that that was a normal marvel movie and i forgot that, (laughs) that 
and you know he would be in a an infinity war or whatever so it's just it's so everybody like it's everybody in hollywood essentially well and it's like martin freeman is in yeah. it yeah oh yeah right because yeah, he was in one of those it's, earlier ones it's everybody like the the thing is is it, it's everybody from the avengers which already is a, a huge cast then you get all those people from civil war who ended up in civil war uh, Guardians of the Guardians. Galaxy, and, and that's what I was getting to. Mm-hmm. Guardians of the Galaxy gets in there, and that's where it really just starts getting crazy. And then you have all the people somewhat associated with all those, like Benicio del Toro is in there. You know, like is he Gwyneth really? Paltrow. Yeah, yeah, Gwyneth Paltrow, oh, yeah. and uh, everybody who has ever been in a Marvel movie is in the movie. So, oh, and I'm sure it's it's most of them. It's like, hey, Tony, how's it going? And then they <laughs> and they say a joke, and then they leave. <laughs> <laughs> or they'll get like a like a close up action shot of them reacting to like these horrible events or something like that. Yeah, on. this is what's going to happen, and this is I'm I'm more frustrated about this prediction than the big cast being a problem because the big cast is going to be a problem. It was mm-hmm. a problem in Civil War, even if you adore that movie. There's too many people you have to give shine a light on. My big concern is that they're they're going to kill someone finally. Yeah, and then congratulate themselves on having the balls to kill someone. After 18 movies, yes, <laughs> when they have had the opportunity to give emotional impact and kill someone early on, they've had killable characters ever since early on. They just haven't. Rhodey is going to be in this next movie oh, in yeah? an Iron Man suit. So all that shit from the end of Civil War means nothing. Nope. You, that was a fake out. But this time they're going to kill someone. I promise. I think it's going to be Captain America. I don't have any insider knowledge. But they're going to be them and the Marvel fanboys are going to be proud. If they like, really wanted to make this fun, they would have put the original Fantastic Four cast in there, and Chris Evans would have had to play two characters <laughs> and awesome. kill him. They should have killed him. Yeah, all. and killed him. <laughs> kill the Fantastic Four. That's right. If they kill Captain America, it probably would be something like Superman and uh, Batman versus nope. Superman. Right? Here's the deal, and then see that DC's not any better because they they killed Superman, but everyone knows he's coming back in this next movie, and so it's like the worst. It's the worst. You shouldn't even have killed him. Yeah, exactly. What's the point? You're not going to surprise me. But I think, okay, so Chris Evans has been the most vocal over the last 10 years of how exhausting it is Mm -hmm. and how he never really wanted to be this big of a movie star. And he's been in three standalone movies, two Avengers movies. He's going to be in Infinity War. I think he's tired. And I think there's comic precedent for either Steve Rogers dying or handing the mantle to Falcon who yeah. becomes Captain America in his place. And I think that's what we're going to see happen. Does that happen in the comic books? I believe so. Interesting. But if that ha- if it does happen, I hope he keeps the Falcon wings. So he's like Falcon America. Oh, that would be great. So he can mm. still swoop and soar. Can he, uh, is there anything left of that serum? What serum? The serum that Captain America took. Probably. Somewhere. Yeah, buried imagine, in a vault with a computerized. I would imagine that even if there was some shot footage of the last of that being used Mm -hmm. there's a warehouse somewhere (laughs) remember everybody's like engine or umbrella in these movies well and that fucking metal that vibranium vibranium which is supposed to be Mm -hmm. rare is fucking everywhere (laughs) well in wakanda it is yeah well i'm just saying it's not it's not very rare they can at any point go here's a dagger made of vibranium Mm -hmm. it's indestructible and no one's going to question it yeah just how it works. Yeah. We kind of detoured off on, yeah, on the end there. My bad. Uh, okay. 
I have a question for the upcoming episode. Well, that's good timing. Mm-hmm. Uh, something I really enjoy is when a movie makes the environment almost a character in its own right. Mm. Call it atmosphere or whatever, but it would be hard to imagine Lost in Translation taking place in anywhere but Tokyo. I agree. Or, oh, brother, where art thou said in any other time or place but the South in the 30s, even though it was based on the Odyssey. But, oh, okay, that's fine. Um, what are some movies uh, that you think do this the best? Yes, I know. I suck at reading questions today. I think the uh, one of the recent examples, we haven't seen the new Blade Runner yet. Right. Um, but in going back and watching the old Blade Runner, I guess I'm in the minority at this point that I actually liked it better when I watched it the second time. I, re- I saw that Aaron Dicer actually watched it like a couple nights ago or something yeah. like that and said that he had your opinion, you guys' opinion, basically, mm-hmm. that you liked it maybe even a little bit worse. Yeah. Um, but that whatever city that is, well, that's in L.A. Uh, in like the dystopian L.A. God bless them. I know that they spend a lot of time on world building, but I kind of dig that environment. Um, it, it was the first of its kind to put all that that crazy shit up on the the side of the walls and all that mm. stuff. And uh, you know, the, just the the constant rain and the constant gloom. I get where he's going with where Ridley Scott's going with it, and I dig it. I bet you. Whatever Denis Villeneuve is going to do is is going to do that even better. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I did also realize is that uh, the Ghost in the Shell, the original Ghost in the Shell from yeah. 1995, takes a lot of stuff from Blade Runner mm-hmm. um, because it really sets up that city wherever it is in Japan as you know, as its own character, and it really has like lingering shots on cityscapes and things like that. The movie's hypnotic, man. It really is, mm-hmm. and. I, See, to me, Blade Runner was on the same level as Ghost in the Shell. It, not something that like, I'm going to say I, I would pop in all the time or that I really, really love, but I, I do like it and I do appreciate it. There's just too much. There's, I mean, eh, we don't have to make this whole discussion about Blade Runner here. We can do that some other time. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, it, there's just, there's a little bit too much silliness. There's a little, you know, especially with the Harrison Ford and talking about holes and all this sort of stuff. <laughs> um, and, uh, and just the, 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 the way it's plotted and everything. It feels like to me a movie that actually had trouble during production, which is what it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, I mean, I don't hate Blade Runner. It's just that it's not nearly as good as I'm always told that it is. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what ultimately it comes down to. Is when I watch it, I'm like, this is solid. But man, why is everybody saying this is great? Yeah. Like it's transformative, you know, that type of thing. I'm going to shout out David Simon's TV shows. Um, ah. The Wire in Baltimore. Yeah. Uh, Treme in New Orleans, where I think he literally said, when he was starting to make that show, that it was about the city, not mm-hmm. any of the people that are going to be in the show. Um, and that's, I I suggested Treme to so many people. You guys seen it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I saw the first season. And so many people can't get into it. And that's kind of the similar with, with The Wire, but both of those cities are complete and total characters. Uh, and then his new show with James Franco, The Deuce, which is on, I believe, HBO, mm-hmm. is like doing the same kind of thing with 70s New York. Oh, really? Because uh, it's like basically the the boom of the porn industry. Um, so, you know, it's probably nudity if that floats Have you your seen boat. it? I've seen a couple episodes. Yeah. Is it good? Yeah. I, I hear, what I hear about that show is that Maggie Gyllenhaal has a lot of input in it. Yeah. Uh, of, of like, even the lengths of which they will go to shoot the pornography scenes without being pornography themselves. Right. Uh, which I think is really cool. Like there's a, there's a, like a collaborative process in there. I feel like that's where you get the best stuff. I feel like David Simon just really cares about authenticity. 
Um, oh yeah, but it's clear in all three of those projects that he he wants the city to be the main focus. Um, anyway, uh, so shout out to him. And then I also wrote down something like Dark City. Uh, oh yeah, does a really good uh, the environment is a character kind of thing because there's you watch Dark City for the first time and you've never seen anything like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then uh, last shout out to Harry Potter movies. I think the Hogwarts um, is is very well done in those movies as a sort of character itself, um, and that uh, it doesn't it doesn't work very well if that's not done well. Well, I know, and that's why I don't like something like Deathly Hallows Part One. Yeah, where there, I don't. I, I guess there's some uh, sections at, at Hogwarts, but by and large, they're on the run. They're mm-hmm. doing all this stuff. That's why I thought it was a ridiculous book. If you're going to cleave one in half, it should be what was it? Order of the Phoenix. That was like yeah, a thousand are, pages. Even Prisoner like of Azkaban, but a couple of the other books would have worked better to split up. Yeah, because right in the middle of that book is exactly where that movie ends. When they're on the run, they're doing there. So many stretches of that book where they're doing nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Harry and Hermione are like hanging out in this field or whatever. You know, in this this secret spot, and they can't go anywhere and they can't communicate it's like that, that harry harry potter and the deathly hallows part one proves that you can come up with any movie this is why we have this discussion about lord and miller doing han solo movie and then getting fired and yeah. whatever you can do any fucking harry potter movie and people will come out in droves to watch yep it. and that's exactly the fucking proof right there <laughs> yep. because that is nothing that happens in that first one no uh, except yeah. for you know oh ron weasley gets pissed off because he thinks he sees yeah you know harry and hermione dancing or whatever <laughs> and and it's uh that's about it they're pissed off at each other they're on the they're in the woods <laughs> the kids in the woods yeah the kids in basically the woods. that's the movie kids um, in the woods <laughs> little boys in jungles running around <laughs> i wasn't quite sure uh if this meant real places or what um i guess it doesn't matter um uh when i when i the way this question was worded i was i was kind of wondering if it meant i can't imagine this movie without you know the actual real backdrop of Mm -hmm. new york city or whatever uh but uh hill valley and back to the future is what i thought of (laughs) good call um uh, because i i actually when i thought about this i was like imagine back to the future in a big city it wouldn't mm. work. Mm-mm. Wouldn't work at all. Yeah. Um, and especially like when when it's time for them to you know go eighty miles an hour and hit the lightning and the clock tower and all the yeah. clock tower and that that square so integrated into the plot um, of all three movies. Yeah, exactly. Are all three set only in Hill Valley? Yeah. So yeah, so like the casino and all that stuff is still Hill Valley. Yep. Yeah. He goes to the exact same. So that's it, like a. 30 square mile area where you've got three movies mm-hmm. yeah, yeah i guess the train goes a little bit out of town yeah out yeah, of town yeah, yeah 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 uh that's interesting i never really thought about that because you think about the big casino in part two mm-hmm. and you think oh well i guess they've they've moved to a yeah, different a, section the, the 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 you know the plot is that at that point hill uh, uh biff has gotten so rich that he's turned hill valley into I guess Hell Valley. Did they say Hell Valley at one point? I don't know. They I don't may think have so. said Hell Valley, but uh, but yeah, it looks like a bigger city. Yeah, yeah. And it's mainly because of all this wealth and everything. Um, but uh, but yeah, Hill Valley is just one of those things. Like almost everything about Back to the Future has to have that small town feel to it. Uh, and I was it started thinking about what if this was in New York City. 
Like it just completely different movie at oh, that yeah. point. Oh yeah, so. that's a good call. I always forget how much skateboarding there is in that movie mm-hmm. or wow. those movies. Yeah, you know, or hoverboarding, hoverboarding, hoverboarding. You know, yeah, taking the off very little beginning scooters. of the movie when he's late for school, he's skateboarding. <laughs> you got uh, the the chase scene. Yeah. Um and yeah, just about everywhere he goes, he's uh, he's skateboarding somewhere. <laughs> Skateboarder's got a skateboard. Because the DeLorean doesn't work, man. Yeah, man. Uh, okay, next one. There's an article in THR that says that mother, mother, mother is bad because audience had to look up the meaning of the film. In honor of this, what film did you not understand the first time? Researched it online, watched the film again, and fully understood what the theme was. Uh, for this person's example, he couldn't make head nor tail of Enemy when he first saw it. Uh, after some research, I watched the film again and saw Jake Gyllenhaal's fear of women and commitment symbolized through the film with the spider imagery. Now, that I haven't a, seen that. I've seen Enemy, and you, again, I think Denis Villeneuve has gotten to the point now where I'm, I'm seeing people who normally aren't like movie buffs are saying his name or at least trying to. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but... Uh, it, I, I recommend nearly everything that I've seen Denny Villeneuve do because mm-hmm. Enemy is one of those movies, by the end of it, yes, you're going to be scratching your head. You're going to be like, what the fuck? You know, and all that. I had never heard of that uh, that uh, description. Of it. it makes the movie a lot better in my eyes. I liked it even though I didn't really understand what the hell that imagery was. Yeah. It's just it's just one of those, just it's one of those fun what the fuck movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say Eyes Wide Shut on this one. Uh-huh. Uh, Eyes Wide Shut. Uh, I remember Bill, We it was all, all the projectionists on that Thursday all had uh, a print to build for Eyes Wide Shut. Mm-hmm. It was three prints, and uh, and we thought it was going to be like Basic Instinct. Yeah. You know, and uh, I remember telling all, all the projectionists, and I was like, we're all going to have our own auditoriums. We're going to have our own little spank holes. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck! Yeah. Be a little Chris DNA on the and in hindsight, if that movie gives you a boner, there might be something wrong. Right, right. Uh, so, with that in mind, if you're thinking this is going to be the sexiest, like dirtiest fuck movie that's ever been made mainstream. <laughs> And then you go and watch the movie, you're going to get disappointed. Oh, yeah. And we were disappointed. We're disappointed <laughs> as fuck watching that movie. And um, and uh, it was later on, you know, I guess, you know, I was 22. I was 22 when that movie came out. Um, when, you know, you go back and you start like, man, Kubrick obviously had more in mind with this. So let's look into it. And I've seen some people who've written some seriously amazing things about eyes mm-hmm. wide shut reading it reading that is almost as entertaining as the movie itself yeah um so when you talk about all the little various symbolism in there and of course some people go way off the, the mm-hmm. deep end just like they did with uh, the shining yeah uh, i mean kubrick it lends himself to he's got such a track record of intentional easter egg, you could call it easter eggs mm-hmm. or, or references or little things in the background that that he's you know basically given credence to mm-hmm. that you can read into a lot of this stuff and and it makes a certain amount of sense you know they did the the room 237 movie yeah uh on the shining which i thought was just a ridiculous it's movie. ridiculous but it's I, it's insanely watchable like yeah. like i don't go and we're really going on tangent now but that room 237 movie uh the thing about i love i love about like it's it's a conflicting type of movie right uh, the people in there are ridiculous, 
But do we hate the movie because they're ridiculous? I love the movie because they're ridiculous. Oh, they have to be. Yeah, you yeah. know, like like yeah, we can roll our eyes at all these things, but I was just digging what they were coming up with. Oh yeah, China. especially because a lot of them, a lot of those theories start kind of reasonably. They're yeah. like, okay, he put this uh, this image of a can with a Native American in the background, and this, this, this and then they go off the deep yeah. end. There's like a moment where like I could be with you but on this, and thinking- then it's it. When they're thinking about like the the uh, the basically the blueprints of the hotel and right. like thinking about where all the rooms are in <laughs> yeah. relation to each other, which is something I would have never thought of, um, you know, it's just like uh, thinking on the mo- thinking of movies in that kind of a deeper level is just fun for me, even if the theories are whack, yeah, or whatever. Um, did you just say whack? I did say nice. whack. It, uh, it's like wiggity, we're wiggity whack, <laughs> like we're in the early nineties. <laughs> Um, by the way, I did want to say, uh, about mother, I, I have seen this movie. I can see why everybody hated it. Um, and, it, and I'm not saying that to be glib. I'm, mm-hmm. I, I actually enjoyed mother because I think I got a lot of, you know, when you, once you get a bunch of people saying this is terrible, yeah. then you can go in and watch it. You yeah. Know. Your expectations are right. way low. Um, uh, the, the, the theory that I've read that I, I guess I agree with the most, but I have my own interpretation of it. There's a there's all this stuff going on in the movie that uh, this one theory says basically that uh, I guess we could put a spoiler in if anybody cares. Mm. If it, I mean it's I don't know if it really ruins it to go with this interpretation, but we'll we'll see what happens. Uh, Javier Bardem is is uh, is a man married to Mother Nature is essentially mm. what they're saying, and so there's all the characters that are coming into this this house or this is like a this is like a history of time going through just a, a couple of days and weeks or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's like a lot of stuff happens really fast. Like they have sex, Jennifer Lawrence next morning, I'm pregnant. Like it's species or some huh. shit. Yeah. And like, um, <laughs> and like, uh, so like a lot of the things in there happen really fast, like way faster than Lawrence. Somebody dies. They have the funeral that day. Mm-hmm. It's like a party that night. It's like a lot of stuff. So, so the theory, there's one theory that, um, that uh, it's it's the history of time told through these two people Hmm. i got a different interpretation of it because so many people were coming in uninvited to jennifer lawrence's house Mm -hmm. that it had something to do with the pictures that got online oh Uh, there's a there's a so many people uninvited so many people saying what does it matter all this other type of stuff i was like this seems like a kind of a sort of an exploration into her phone getting hacked. That's interesting. And at the end, and towards the end, there's a scene where like there's a million people in the house and they're like tearing her clothes from her body and everything. And they're calling her whore and slut and Jesus. all this other type of stuff. And I was like, that seems like the closest to my theory being true wow. by the end of it than anything well it's and, like that olivia olivia Munn arc on uh network whatever that oh uh, sorkin show was about yeah, the news newsroom. Newsroom. yeah because that she had photos hacked back when she was dating chris pine i guess she sent him some dirty photos and hmm. they leaked online and then her character goes through the same thing on the show yep, and yep. i felt like her the way they wrote her character was a way to try and help empower the actress to mm-hmm. kind of take control of the story yeah. Interesting. So that, I don't know if that's what other people that I'm sure this is not like my own theory, but I'm sure there's other people who have thought that too. But 
uh that's what i got from it because i was sitting there i was sitting there like i was sitting there like I, what is the deal with this movie because mm -hmm. it, it's not your typical horror movie or whatever um which is awesome that's why i want to see it because you're right i'm, I'm kind of like you where the expectation is not to go in and watch you know some sort of psychological thriller it's mm -hmm. more of like to to watch it in broad terms and there's very few movies that you can go in and like expect that to mm -hmm. say like you know, i'm gonna kind of let this wash over me and see what I think about putting the pieces together. I saw a quote from Aronofsky himself. That basically, I'm paraphrasing, but he said, if you've read the most famous book in the world, you shouldn't have any trouble understanding what's going on. Right. And people have taken that to say he's meaning the Bible. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess there's a lot of Madonna well, the, kind of the imagery. the characters are all named like biblical type of, not biblical names, but like biblical like ideas. So and, it's almost like, a, what do they call that? An allegory? It's an allegory, mm, okay. yeah. Like a, a pilgrim's progress yeah, or something yeah, like yeah. that. Interesting. Uh, I, I don't doubt that for one bit. That's probably that's probably it, if there wasn't it, yeah. to, to be interpreted. But I kept getting this, you know, this whole, like, because Jennifer Lawrence is so featured in this movie, and so, and everybody's dropping in uninvited and doing all these things and, yeah, and basically yeah. being assholes about it, uh, I got a whole different interpretation from it. By the way, Michelle Pfeiffer in this movie, interesting, is probably the best I've seen her in years. Really, I haven't seen Michelle Pfeiffer in a long That's time. Yeah, no kidding. But even when she was at her height, she wasn't usually like like doing great work. She right. was always like you know she was eye candy mm -hmm. or like just solid enough to be in the movie. Uh, she had her like basic peak, like married to the mob and all that stuff was when that came out. Mm -hmm. Uh, she is so good in this. Mm. It's it, it, it sort of, sort of tells you like, you know, when you have somebody like Darren Aronofsky, you know, directing a movie, people just bring their A game. Mm -hmm. You, so, uh, you ever see that movie where she's uh, the teacher, the one gangster's paradise. Oh, no, dangerous minds. Yeah, yeah. There was a whole subplot where Andy Garcia was her love interest and they cut everything related to him, <laughs> which is humorous. Now that we know in passengers, right. they shot a bunch of extra Andy Garcia stuff. So it makes me wonder how many movies are out there that Andy Garcia was in, <laughs> but we just didn't know it. There's going to be a documentary one day called Andy Garcia graveyard. <laughs> he's, the, he's the actor. I love the idea that he's the one that happens to the most in all they're of all Hollywood. like they're all like buried next to the et atari cartridges and shit <laughs> um okay but uh, so that was a serious derailment i don't think you guys have answered this question um so, so my answer may be cheating but i'm gonna go with eight mile mm. and and i i was i think i was a casual eminem fan at the time of eight mile and that movie and the song lose yourself ultimately pushed me deep into his musical catalog and made me a fan and I appreciated the movie when I saw it. Now I don't think it's any dramatic achievement worthy of best picture. Yeah. Um, but I, I was able to enjoy the rap battle even without really necessarily knowing how much he was slinging at them. Mm -hmm. Like I could get the part about this kid went to private school and he's playing all tough like he's from the street. I'm a smart enough white guy to get that. But I don't know rap history very well. Mm -hmm. And few years ago on TechCrunch of all places, there was an article over the weekend and it was it was trying to basically pull inspiration for business owners and entrepreneurs from that last rap bottle battle. And this guy breaks down every single lyric. You know what I'm talking about with Papa Doc where he doesn't oh, yeah. even rap back and yeah, he's yeah. like four pock, two, three pock, two pock, one. <laughs> yeah. uh, and there's all these he's making all these references to Tupac in that particular line. Mm -hmm. But there's I, I came away from that article with a dozen insights to that rap battle that huh. I had never had before in terms of 
just exactly how much he was hammering them. Yeah. And it's it's funny because, again, I like rap. Um, I'm not a super fan, but even like a regular rap battle, I'll watch it and the crowd will be like, oh! yeah. Yeah. what did he say? <laughs> well, I didn't catch it. You know, I never ever thought to even look up stuff for 8 Mile. I, I enjoyed the movie enough, but you're right. In those rap battles, I don't even understand why some of those are like, oh, yeah. moments. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was like, huh? I was like, okay. Well, I mean, if they think it is, I guess it is. I'm going to find that article. Yeah. I and you can that. link it in the description because it's fascinating in and of itself. But then having seen the movie again since reading that article, it gave me a much greater appreciation for the film, Eminem in general. Uh, especially that ending. That's a good one. Clarence's parents have a real good marriage. Yeah. Sure do. <laughs> they sure do. Well, I mean, the thing about that is that he's winning by admitting defeat. Sure. You know, because, yeah, he, he starts on Clarence and uh, or Papa Doc and, you know, saying this is what's what's wrong with you. But then when he pivots and starts talking about him, I am white trash and he proud of it. He takes away everything yep. that the other guy could say. And again, the article points this out. But when he, when he turns and begins the thing with everybody from the 313, yeah. he immediately gets everyone on his side. Exactly. And, and he's already the setting itself. up yep. yeah. this guy. Went to, he's already setting up the insult coming. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. It, it, it makes it seem a lot more brilliant than I ever realized the first time. Yeah. So. Uh, I'll tell you another movie that's, that still blows my mind is American Psycho. And mm. I still don't necessarily know what it's about. And wh- mm. every time, because I, I think there's something more there than than even like a deeper exploration. It, it, like you'll read articles about like, this is, you know, a uh, basically a personification of all the greed in, you know, Wall Street in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. I understand that part. Uh, and then the murders are, are you know, murders and, ac- what is it? Murders and executions. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And it's murders, murders and, and acquisitions, acquisitions. Yeah. Uh, but I think there's more there to the America part of it uh, to to be like he's he's working himself into being this ideal and doing a thousand crunches a day mm-hmm. and watching all this pornography and consuming this culture. It's almost like uh, Patrick Bateman is is becoming America mm. uh, in that particular character, not not even necessarily in that era, mm. um, even though obviously it was about that. But I think there's there's more subtext in that character and in that story because it's so zany and it's so insane how how things unfold and how we learn about how they there's unfold. even more context in the sequel starring Mila Kunis. Ooh, yeah. Have <laughs> no, you seen it? No, Good I'm call. kidding. I've seen it. It's terrible. No, um, <laughs> she's terrible in it, and I love her. Well, is it? Uh, was it uh, apparently Seth MacFarlane likes to announce uh, when she when he announces her for anything? He goes, "An American Psycho 2's <laughs> 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 oh, <that's> <laughs> And he's like, he's like, yeah, he, she hates it when I say that. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, uh, you know the the thing that you're saying there about American Psycho uh, is is interesting because. I, I I do come away from that movie saying that none of it happened. It was all in his head. But that said, it could be the fact that this is roiling inside a lot of people mm-hmm. and other people do go over the line and do this type of thing. He just happens to be the one person who doesn't. And thank God he doesn't or whatever. But other people out there are are just as powder keg as he is. And they're about they are. They do end up blowing up. Can yeah. I ask a question? Mm hmm. Can we can we maybe interpret that he does some of it but not all of it? Like I always felt like that homeless guy he kills mm-hmm. was like, Why don't you get a fucking job? I always felt like that one could be real. Yeah. 
and that no the others say that it's not were fantasy other than <sighs> the fact that all the other ones are considered not right by the end of it right but also you get because the almost the entire movie is from his perspective mm-hmm. right that's one of the questions that we had recently except for the hooker mm-hmm. um you do have a brief shot of her before he pulls up did he kill her you mm-hmm. know did he kill the the other girl that's a possibility too because he's renting this other apartment and there's I, I that's why it blows my mind because i i don't know i've seen that movie you know probably a dozen times at this point and i still don't know where reality stops and fantasy begins uh but you could be right it, it could be that he he does none of it well there's a reason why uh mary heron made willem dafoe do three different yeah. kind of takes on uh, those things because there's one where he thinks He's done it. There's one where he doesn't know anything, and then there's another one that I guess he doesn't he doesn't think he's done it at all. So there's like three different kind of modes, and he she used all different ones. So, I mean, the only the, it becomes problematic though when the Jared Leto character isn't even dead by right, the end right. of it. But you're right. There could be something where he didn't kill him. Yeah, because the cops other... not after him for the homeless guy. Right. Nobody. It would ever suspect him of that yep. that one feels like one he could have done and then maybe he starts to fantasize about getting away with killing other people mm-hmm. in his life i don't know yeah. yeah because i mean he's calling the the uh the escort service and then he's picking up this other girl you know i don't know i don't know that movie is really really interesting to me i i read the book a long time ago and i don't really like how the way brad east and ellis writes mm-hmm. just it's it's too uh it's too scattered for me, mm-hmm. and it's too. Maybe it's because you know he's taking serious drugs Could while he's writing this. Could be. Uh, but like, I, I I like watching his stuff a lot more than I do reading it. Same with Rules of Attraction. Same mm-hmm. with uh, mm-hmm. Lesson Zero. So uh, I don't know. It, it just uh, that's something that I. If I see an article on American Psycho and like the background of it and like how how it was made, what they were thinking, I'm going to read that article for sure. Yeah. yeah. All right, you want to do a couple more? Let's do a couple more. All right. Oh, these are always fun. My question is, what bad movies have a good movie in them? What I mean is that uh, movies that either have a great concept or have a few great moments in them. However, the film ultimately isn't good. Example of this, for me, is in Funny People. It's a good one. Uh, I like the concept of Funny People, and I think it's a good representation of Adam Sandler's career. I agree. Uh, it's also the one Hollywood movie that uh, shows Aussie rules football, and I think Eric Van is great in it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, it's a good 30 to 40 minutes too long, I agree, and they try to cram too many celebrities in it. Great example. What do you guys think? Uh, yeah, that is a great example, because Funny People actually has funny moments in it. Yeah. It's, but the, all the things that he just said in there is too long. It's, you know, it's just, it's too long is the main thing, but the... The uh, the story itself, he he gets cancer, he loses cancer. Yep. <laughs> he loses cancer. Yeah. He loses it. I lost my cancer. <laughs> uh, you know, you got peanut butter in my cancer. Um, <laughs> Did I ever tell you the story on the podcast of when uh, in '98 I got a job with the Muscular Dystrophy Association doing fundraising? It's like my first real job, uh-huh. and. Uh, my buddy Josh was planning to move back down here and we were going to come to Nashville, but it was like nine months away. So we were talking on the phone whenever we were catching up and I said, Hey, I got a job working for muscular dystrophy. And he's like, for the disease itself. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know it employed anybody. Um, I think there is a good movie to be had from the concept of Abraham Lincoln, vampire hunter. Ooh, um, that oh. is a that is a bold choice. The problem is, 
they they I don't and I didn't read the original material uh, on which this is based because I know that they came up with a lot of these kind of like you know Pride and Prejudice and zombies and mm-hmm. uh, stuff like that where they're taking like real things. This isn't based on anything real. It's just a uh, somebody imagining Abraham Lincoln as a vampire hunter. But uh, if they made it more campy and uh, you know with more jokes and not stuff so like straight, that, they played this so straight. And I remember when the the movie was being made i was like oh that should be pretty fun in some way and then i watched it and it's so like deathly serious that yeah. abraham lincoln is a vampire hunter and uh and uh and in the movie is oh is this the watching the movie literally watching the movie is so hard it's so dark and so you know it, what, whatever professionals were on that to try to make the film look good were, you know, <laughs> I think they weren't in the union or something when they got this. But, um, but if you take that concept and make like make it like an actual like funny movie, I think it would be good. And that's way that's the way I took the title. You don't make a title Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, yeah. and not try to make that funny. No, you got to go for it, right? Man. They're not really going for any. I, I haven't seen that. They're not really going for like campy they or anything. Played it way it's, too it's, straight. It's oh, basically fuck, it's basically on. his second job at night after he's done presidenting. Yeah, presidenting. So, nice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna say something I, I never thought I would make any kind of argument for, and that's Iron Man three. Mm. Ah, and now I hate this movie. Um. <laughs> I think, I think I, I dislike it more than two, and I think everyone dislikes two. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there was enough good going for it. Uh, specifically, there's that fantastic scene where Tony calls his suit piece by piece, and he's tied up, yeah. and he only mm-hmm. has like one arm with a cannon or whatever, and he has to try and I, gymnastics his way through this fight scene piece by piece without the whole suit. And I think that's a really clever scene, played really well, not super overcut. They really misplayed the Mandarin. Uh, Ben Kingsley playing a villain, but halfway through the movie decides to call him a drunk actor. Yep. But prior to that, he was pretty menacing in those television ads. He attacks Tony's house, supposedly. I don't don't guess he was there. Maybe he was. Um, And I think there's something to play with that, Mm -hmm. that that, uh, an international terrorist with power and a sizable army decides to go after the most powerful superhero in the known world. Yep. Personally. I think there's a really cool arc there. And I even like the idea of Tony crash landing in the middle of nowhere and being away from a big city, away from his lab, and all the things that we usually see him with. But the way that the film veers both to this kid, I don't think that rea- that inter- that relationship plays at all. Uh, I really don't. Um, and I, I think it's just a casting mistake because that kid has talent, I think. Um, but then they're, they're also trying to take this extremist story with Guy Pierce and his you know, fire body weapon thing that yeah. he's been making soldiers out of. And they put that in Tennessee, too. Then they turn pipe. Uh, what's her name? Pipe, not Piper. Pepper Potts. They turn Piper Potts into a fucking extremist weapon and just go full silly at the end. Just so she can remove her clothes, by the way. Yes, mm-hmm. basically. That's the only reason she burns um, her clothes. The movie makes way more mistakes than it does good steps. But mm-hmm. I do believe somewhere along the way in the screenwriting process, they had something good. Uh, and it's got a little Spider-Man 3 syndrome with too, ma- too many characters, too many villains thrown in and all this. Uh, but there's enough nuggets there that I think you could have sold me on it uh, better if you'd have played it out right. Mm-hmm. That's a great call. Thank you. I got another three. Another three. Why do Alien I? Three? Why do I hate? Now that's a good one too. Actually, 
why do I hate The Dark Knight Rises so much? Because reasons. <laughs> because it, again, I can't, I almost can't blame Nolan for this. Because clearly we were going to jump forward eight years and see the Joker come back. But he yeah. died. And so we can't. So we was forced to pivot. I don't know why you dislike it so much. Because I do believe, especially in the first half, there's a lot of good shit. Like, yeah. both both those beats with the cops when he comes racing by the the cop car in the tunnel in the dark and the older cop says to the rookie oh you're in for a show tonight son (laughs) and then that same cop comes back later when matthew modine gets burned by the bat copter and cornered like a rat or whatever he's like Mm. i think you got the wrong animal there sir um (laughs) and i think joseph gordon levitt has a nice little arc um and i love the bane batman fight where he beats him now i do that may just be because i am such a huge fan of that run in the comics um nightfall and all that but um i think that plays really really well there's things in that movie though the 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 thing that the where i got worried was when i saw the trailer and there's the bomb blowing up the football field, and the guy's yeah. running down the field, yes. and like yeah, Heinz Ward, Heinz Ward, yeah. uh, and uh, scores the touchdown, and it just happens, you know, the, the, <laughs> it just happens to stop at the end zone or whatever, and he turns <laughs> around, and uh, it just it's so unnolan esque mm. to have a scene like that yeah. in a movie. Um, the the whole Bane and uh, Marion Cotillard stuff and everything mm-hmm. is is. It bogs it's that unnecessary. movie down. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, you know, it, it, I, this is another one where I feel like if they could have just made it Bane and just and not had this bomb thing, this bomb plot that's in here. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I think, I think it, it stops being so um, bogged down by a whole bunch of like bullshit details and stuff like that. I like, could do without all the sneaking around Viva La Resistance crap that goes on. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm I'm because of how much I like that opening Bane scene with Batman. Mm-hmm. The final fight is just this huge letdown. It's absolutely the dialogue is terrible. No, it came back to stop you. Uh, awesome. And then they just coldly punch each other in the street <laughs> for a while yeah. after oh, an amazing fight earlier right. in the movie. And and because he healed his back in prison and climbed out, this time Batman's not going to get beat. Because remember, in the beginning of the movie, his leg is so bad he has to put on some futuristic brace right. that lets him kick bricks. That leg didn't heal in prison. Yeah. Right? Just his back, which yeah. is still kind of a miracle anyway. Yeah, he did a bunch of push-ups, so everything's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everything's fine. Push-ups fix everything. And there, yeah, and there's the giant... You're, you're ta- I think you're talking about the, the same fight, but that there's the giant like mob fight yeah. that's happening during all that. <laughs> Everybody's ignoring Batman. Right, and, and it's just... It, it, everything about that just feels like very unknown. Like every... That's what he it doesn't, is. His, his stuff is a little bit... I think he does a little bit less. He uses... He gets more with less or whatever. No, I agree. I think he excels when he's telling a simpler story. Now, Memento obviously is complicated, but Mm -hmm. it's based on a simplistic like point of view, basically. And when he can do that, and when he can do, obviously, the Dark Knight is is the the relationship between Batman and the Joker and what they can and can't do. Same thing with Batman Begins and Ra's al Ghul and everything. I think, and with Dunkirk, he takes a story, he tells it expertly. But when you get too many elements to that story, I think there's a limitation to 
maybe his interest. I mean, I think about like in Dark Knight Rises, which this is my pick, obviously, of what what there's a good movie. You mean in the thing there. we've been talking about for ten minutes? Yeah, exactly. Um, but th- there's that Thomas Lennon scene in there where he's just like, I don't like your cartilage, or I don't like your knee, or whatever. Mm. You know, there's there's no cartilage left in that thing. Like it's a goofy scene that's played for laughs when. Not to say that there's no humor in Nolan movies, but that it was just like out of place. You well, know? the thing that is to me the hallmark of a Nolan film is how smart it is. Yeah, you think of something like Inception, and and even the Prestige, because I I've said this before, but just trying to figure out how they storyboarded and plotted out the Prestige yeah. would break my brain. Um, and and this movie just doesn't have much of that, and in place of it, it's got a lot of stupid shit like yeah. the erase everything bad about you on the internet USB stick. <laughs> <laughs> Batman sneaking back into the city somehow, yep. healing his back in a prison. The whole hokey, like you were saying, you know, Marion Cotillard with Bane. That's there's there's a bunch of stupid shit in yeah. this movie instead of smart shit. And I think that was because he had to rush and come up with a last minute kind of replacement for the movie. The yeah. studio wasn't going to not make the movie, and I don't think Nolan was going to let go of what would have been his baby. Same with Raimi and Spider-Man 3. Yeah, stu- yeah, yeah. He wasn't going to quit. It's my thing, but the studio wasn't going to not put Venom in there. But he had such a great character to base on with Bane. I mean, Bane was played the way that I guess he is in the comic books, where he's a super genius in addition to being this hulking beast. I kind of feel like the movie misplays him a little. He's he's more of a genius than anything else mm-hmm. um, in the comics. He's smarter than Batman. Um, but he also takes this serum that he injects by biting, I think biting on a thing in his mask, and that oh. juices him up to the size. He looked perfect in Batman and Robin. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he looked exactly like he did in the comics. In the, Of course, that movie made him an idiot. Yeah. Um, but... I think that was what was disappointing to me is that instead of showing me him being smart, somebody just told him where the fortress was with yep. all the, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Talia, uh, whatever, her name, Al Ghul or whatever, just told him everything he needed to know. And whereas the comic, um, he he deduces Batman's identity because he's just smart enough to do it. Um, and uh, his hulking frame was always secondary in nature. And I think even in that storyline, he defeats him mentally and then breaks his back. Yeah. Like, um, that's a final insult. Whereas the movie just it kind of wants to be in the middle there. It does it wants him to be a genius, but not show any of it. Wants him to be really strong, but not because again in the comics he would have been twice as big as Batman in that fight. And in, uh-huh. in, in Dark Knight Rises, they're the same size. It's just that Batman is old and slow, mm-hmm. and Bane is younger and strong. I don't know. Well, I think if you had played up something like that, that fight. Uh, and maybe even put that towards the end. Or it's, there, there's something good in there. Yeah. I mean, I, I loved the trailers for it. I was Ooh, so excited. Darkness is your outline. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, that's such a great time. Oh, oh man. man, yeah. That, that's again, even all the things I just ripped on about Bane. I love that fight. That yeah. fight's so awesome. Yeah. I don't know. There's something good in it. I got a surprise question for you. Oh, sweet. You Those always turn out perfect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, my question: uh, What are some underseen but excellent movie slash TV performances? By great actors, performances as good as some of their best, but far less known roles. Hmm. Okay. Um. There's a there's a couple that come up now. I don't know if we call Ben Stiller a great actor. Mm-hmm. It's a. I guess that's another debate for. Another He's tried time. a few times. Uh. Yeah. Um. Zoolander, obviously. Right. Uh. Totally. Uh. There was a period of time where Stiller was not always doing comedies. And uh, believe it or not, it was around the same time he did There's Something About Mary, which is what 
elevated him and everything. But during that time, he was doing stuff like Zero Effect and everything. He also was in a movie called Permanent Midnight, mm-hmm. oh, where yeah. he's the uh, writer of the ALF TV show. Yeah. And and he is amazing yep. in Permanent Midnight. And the movie is not great, but he is. If we're going to go with great actor, um, we'll go with Tilda Swinton. There's a movie called I Am Love um, mm. that she is fantastic in. Uh, I don't know if the movie is the movie is pretty good, I guess. Hmm. Um, but uh, uh, she's excellent in it, and I don't think very many people have seen it. It's funny because you, when you mentioned Ben Stiller, I thought you were going to go with your friends and neighbors. I thought That's you were going to go flirting with disaster. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> I guess flirting with disaster is a little bit more uh, straight comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. your friends and neighbors, like that's some dark shit. Yes, in that it thing. is. Has he been in an Alexander Payne movie? Yeah, no kidding. Huh? Has yeah. he been in an Alexander Payne movie? Greenberg. No, no that's Noah Bombeck. Yeah, that's Noah He needs to be in an Alexander Payne movie. Oh yeah, it would be. Good. I got two answers for this, uh, and I think I probably mentioned them both before. But one is um, uh, Will Smith in Six Degrees of Separation. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Um, and this qualifies because almost nobody has seen that movie. Now, I do believe he was famous enough from the television show and his early rap career. That you would call him famous back then. Yeah, yeah, this was 93. Yeah. and But this was one of his first roles, and he clearly is trying to stretch beyond the sitcom as we know yeah. him as. And then in this movie, he basically tricks a rich white couple into thinking he's Sidney Poitier's son, uh, manages to stay with them for a little bit. Um, I think he steals a couple of things. Um, and the movie is kind of interesting because it's shot with the rich white people at various parties telling the story, and then it flashes back to the events happening he's fantastic in that movie uh flashing some of his future dramatic chops my other one is going to be matt damon in courage under fire way before he was famous he's super young and skinny in this movie and he only has a couple of scenes but he's the key that starts unraveling everything for denzel to figure it out because he basically breaks down by the water's edge and tells the, the truth finally um, but you know, he's got scenes early on where he's guarded and cautious and nervous and you can tell he's hiding secrets. Um, but he's also been through a lot of shit and chain smoke cigarettes mm-hmm. and it's just, it's just way before you knew who Matt Damon was. And it's one of those movies that I just feel like kind of time forgot. And everybody's good in that. Lou Diamond Phillips is a sneaky yeah, good yeah, in that movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and of course, Denzel is outstanding. Uh, but Matt Damon has a small, but really important role and he just nails it. Mm-hmm. And he, he, uh, starved himself essentially yes Yes, he did for that he did the christian bale robert de niro physically transform my body christian bale oscar for it i'm gonna be honest here i'm worried we're gonna lose christian bale yeah he goes crazy because when he did was it the machinist Machinist, where he was basically near death skinny and now he's doing dick cheney where he looks 300 pounds and i just don't oh i haven't seen that oh my god I mean, he gained a lot for American Hustle, but he's gone even bigger. Oh, yes. Look it up. I got to see that. You're going to be shocked. And I just felt like that that can't be good for a body. No. I I just, I'm worried about it. He needs needs to be a little less dedicated. I mean, it it may not be good for to go back and forth quickly. I don't know how quickly he's doing this. Yeah, I don't either. I mean, it's never good to get that skinny. For sure. And probably not nearly, not very good to get that fat either. Oh. uh, but yeah. show uh, Chris, yeah, that's that's beefy. Yeah, yeah, it's a big boy right there. Mm-hmm. You could probably look at that picture a couple seconds and not know it was Christian Bale. So yeah. my answer is Christian Slater in cuffs. Oh. Um, <laughs> there you go. Absolutely. I don't know. Why. Not pump up the volume. 
I don't know. I was thinking Christians and I uh, really liked him in, in cuffs. Yeah. No, uh, my actual answer is, so John Turturro we've talked about, it gets not lauded enough for how like versatile he is and how mm-hmm. great he is. We just literally watched him in The Big Lebowski recently and it's just the funniest part of that movie. Mm-hmm. It's just amazing. But uh, he was in this movie called Cradle Will Rock. Yeah. Um, which was about uh, you know the uh, the blacklisting and the communism uh, McCarthyism type of thing and how that uh, made it its way into uh, stage acting mm. and you know the unions versus the uh, the individuality of the performances and everything and so John Turturro plays this writer uh, who and he's an actor actually uh, who's who's trying to to work with Hank Azaria to uh, to write this play and to to get this play out there but then there's this big union strike. And he plays this like really complex character about like he's a family man. He's got like a few kids. And, you know, does he stay with the union and stay safe and keep his family, you know, okay? Or does he go with his heart and actually like do this? And the final scene of them getting chills just thinking about the final scene of this movie um, is just some of the most thrilling, chilling, like uh, acting because he just says he eventually just says, fuck it. I'm going to perform because this is what I do. This is my my life this is this is what how i should act and he just acts the fuck out of this part hmm. um it, it's it's a musical and it's about the the whole movement and everything uh it's really really compelling it's not the greatest movie in the world but it just for the the performances alone i think it's worth watching and he's got probably the best could have uh, answered your uh, cast question with this by the way oh Cradle yeah rock because it's got so many people in it Joan Cusack, Bill Murray, uh, Tenacious D is mm-hmm, in it. Yeah. Um, John Cusack, Ruben Blades, like plays um, Frida Kahlo's husband. Oh, Pablo Neruda. Yeah, yeah, uh, but yeah, it's a really good cast, really good performances. I would recommend it for I'm sure. Looking around, I don't see Diego any Rivera. Sorry, he plays Diego, Diego Rivera, Rivera yeah, yeah. not Pablo Neruda. Ah. Yeah, I just did a quiz show quote that nobody caught, but it's all right. What'd you say? <laughs> I said, I'm looking around. I don't see any Rubens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, that'll do it for this week. Uh, I thought that was fun, though. Yeah, baby. Yeah, I had and a good we, time. Taking a road trip. Takes a, takes a little detour from our, our usual, like, uh, I guess, structure thing. Yeah. Um, but, uh, keep going to Facebook, keep going to SoundCloud, keep going to Twitter and giving us your thoughts about, you know, various things. I, I've, I've enjoyed doing this Facebook cool, thing. Yeah. yeah. I've been, I've been, I, I haven't done comments since the old YouTube days when mm. we first started. Uh, and, uh, I enjoy this a lot more than I did the YouTube. Well, yeah, because, well. Yeah, because yeah, you, you're getting people that actually like your content right. and want to have and it, a discussion. I guess there's less, too. There's not so many comments, and it's not like whack-a-mole when yeah. somebody says something, and you correct yeah. them on it, and then somebody else says that exact same thing later and whatever. But Has uh, it been uh, generally positive? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a couple of uh, either suggestions or uh, you guys forgot this, but they're not like pissed off yeah, about yeah. it. You know, like uh, one of the reasons why I even thought of Tilda Swinton for mm-hmm. I Am Love and everything was that somebody, after we did our actresses thing, was like, what about Tilda Swinton? And I was uh, like, I went through like, I was like, God, she is in a lot of like, she's great in a lot of things. Um, and just, you know, it's just one we, we forgot. But um, but yeah, the those are the, the type of comments I like, even if we've we've forgotten something and it's 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 a bad glaring thing or yeah. whatever. Uh, people suggest it and it's like oh yeah yeah we should have considered that right. damn that sucks but 
the same time, I love the discussion that comes. Yeah. From it is it. great. We can still interact. Like obviously, you listen to this when you're commuting or when you're at work or when you're at home. Uh, but yeah, if you want to actually like communicate with us directly, go to Twitter, go to Facebook, go to SoundCloud, uh, any of that stuff. Yeah. yeah. All right, that'll do it for this week. It's Chris Atkins and Jeremy Scott and Barrett Share. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com. Got urine wow. in my bladder. <laughs> I need to get it out. He's suddenly going over I would to never keep Jeremy <laughs> get his hands on that sweet, sweet canned air. Does he like actually like suck it? Like he breathes? Yeah, yeah. Because the there's O2 air. in there, and uh, you know, oxygen gets you high if mm-hmm. you do straight oxygen. Oxygen yeah. makes you. There's high. other chem- chemicals in there, mm-hmm. and then um, when we worked at the movie theater, we had him. To clean out dust from projectors and shit. Mm-hmm. My favorite trick is turn it upside down and you can temporarily freeze shit. Oh, Turn it upside yeah. down and spray a pencil and it gets all icy. And, nice. Yeah. We wasted a lot of canned air, but that's, just didn't huff it. That's how you can like break a lock, right? Probably. Yeah. I mean, at least the science principle behind it. It's like the uh, like T2, right? Yes, exactly like that. <laughs> Fox 3. Fox 3. Standing by. <laughs> <laughs> We had five people in the studio last night and couldn't record any of them. <laughs> we sure did have a nice talk for an hour, though. We recorded the best podcast that no one will ever hear. Mm-hmm. This is not <laughs> the greatest podcast. <laughs> this is just a tribute. If we get bored in the middle of the episode, we can just pick up a guitar and start strumming. Mm-hmm. Or smashing. Yes, let's definitely smash all the Gibson guitars. Smashy, smashy. Thank you. Make sure that you huff that entire can. That'll be like the Pez dispenser in Seinfeld that I'll look down and giggle (laughs) at it every time I see it. You sexy motherfucker. Ah, Skeet, 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 motherfucker. Uh, Till the sweat drips down my balls. (laughs) Skeet, 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 motherfucker. Skeet, 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 motherfucker. (laughs) <laughs> I do love those old Dave Chappelle things when he was doing Little John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Skeet, 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 skeet. <laughs> there was a, an early entry in the Urban Dictionary about skeeting. And when it, when it first came out, when that Get Low song came out. Yeah. And the example was, sorry, honey, I s- accidentally skeeted on your ass. <laughs> hmm. Still don't know what it means. Hmm. It means to ejaculate. I like to play this game lately. Okay, so when I was a kid, the game we played in church when Jeff and I were bored, my brother and I were bored, we'd flip through the, the hymnal, and then you'd, after, you'd say the name of the title of the song, and then you'd say, Under the Sheets. And it was fun because 30, 40% of the time, it, it produced humorous results. Now, as a full-grown 42-year-old adult, I was playing the same game the other day on the Ask Reddit subreddit, mm-hmm. where I pretend my answer, for, no matter what the question, would be anal. Ah, and it's it's actually a, got a higher success rate of humor because the questions are all worded very humorously. Like, uh, what did the weird kid in your school do to get expelled? Anal. <laughs> right. <laughs> what What's one thing girls could do to get a guy's attention better? Anal. Anal. <laughs> and it's just a very fun game to play. Yeah. 
I, and yes, I do sometimes have too much time on my hands. That's one. Of my, basically, what I do is I go to maybe six or seven different subreddits throughout the day and see what's new there, the ones that I like the most. And that's one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, when I'm really bored, I just go deep. I keep clicking next page, next page, and just responding, you know, mentally, anal to all the You all don't questions. actually type it? No, no. Because <laughs> that would probably not be a good look. I feel like Reddit was created basically just to waste time, right? It's well, it's it's yeah, it's half wasting time and half discovering content because I I can get better, faster news on the news subreddit than I often even can on Twitter. Really? It's extra bad these days because on Twitter you see something trending and you see that it's like, oh, this is a news item, right? Yeah. Like Las Vegas shooting and you click on it and you have to scroll through 50 hot political takes Mm -hmm. or someone trying to make jokes yeah. before you even find like a legit link to what the latest news is. Whereas if I can go over to our news, once a major event happens, basically one post about that story will rise to the top and then they'll just keep updating it mm. um, with, you know, like when the Boston bombing thing happened, I was on that subreddit on mm. a specific thread for hours because this guy was in Boston on the street. The cops were shooting and running down, listening to the police scanner and giving updates to everything the police said. On Reddit? Yeah. Wow. And it was amazing. And like I knew that they had got him before any news outlet reported it. That's crazy. Anyway. Yeah, on Twitter, you got to sort through like Thursday feelings or something like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I hate, and it's, I Monday motivation. It's a common thing, but I hate on Twitter where you see something trending and you click on it and there's you have no idea why it's trending. Yeah, exactly. And that's the that's the the thing that I can't stand about Twitter the most. Like you'll see, okay, example. This probably didn't happen. Beyonce's trending. I click mm. Beyonce and all I get are reaction gifts. Like Beyonce, like, yeah. and it'll be like a gif, and I'm like, well, what yeah. did she do? Yeah. Well, who what who what, who said something about her? <laughs> or it'll say, or the first thing that'll come up will be like, Beyonce announces new album. I mean, you're like, oh, that must be it. And then you find out that that tweet or whatever, or that news was like two weeks ago. Yeah. And it's not why she's trending. And so you go through like several others until finally... And then people tweet about their stupid reality shows, too. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, I'll see a name and I'm like, why is Frank twi- trending? Yeah. And you'll, you'll cl- click on Frank... And it's and like a big brother like, contestant. It's a whole bunch of yeah. It's a whole bunch of people like I can't believe Frank would do that. And you're like, <laughs> I wouldn't either. Who the fuck is Frank? <clears throat> I feel I feel good about our level. Skeet, 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 sk